what we want this new year to be about. And part of thinking about what the new year is going to be about is I would encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to think about what this past year was about. And not just think about the events that happened, but to take some time to reflect on where has God shown up in my life this past year. For some of you, that may be hard to sort out because it's been a bleak, dark year and uh, God hasn't really been there very often. That's been kind of hard and maybe just when you show up here, you get this little glimmer of hope that helps you take another step forward and make it through another day. But for many of you, maybe God has done some things in your life that you can look back and and in all likelihood, there are things that you didn't realize when the year started. I know when the year started, I I knew that my wife and I were going to take a a trip and I knew that the sabbatical was coming, but I didn't realize all the other things that God would have in my life. And as I thought about my life, I thought of a word, it was really movement. I I saw God move me from to visit places I had never been before. And I saw God move me in and out of the time of sabbatical that the church blessed us with this summer. And, and I saw the God move our church from this location, and now in the, this next year we'll have a new location that we're looking for. And I also saw God move my heart closer to Him and a longing f- to know Him more than anything else in my life. And so I don't know what that looks like for you, but I would encourage you to take some time, if you haven't already done so, to sit down and think back and say, what happened this last year? And not just the chronological events, but where did God show up in my life through this past year? And as we're moving forward into a new year, there's a lot of things that people have as resolutions. And uh, I don't know what New Year's resolutions you might have made, but I thought I would just get started by sharing with you the top 10 New Year's resolutions that uh, people are making this year. So number 10 is to spend more time with family. That's a good resolution. I think we would all agree with that. Uh, Number nine is to fall in love. Now, I'm not sure how that can be a resolution, I'm just not sure, you know, okay, you, it's me and you, you know, we're in this, you know, I I don't know how that works, but nice idea, but not sure about a resolution. How about this one? Help others in their dreams. That's kind of a cool one. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, Quit smoking. Save you some money in the process if you do that. Uh, Number six is learn something exciting. I don't know if there's something you've been thinking about, but maybe try something new you haven't done before. Uh, How about number five? Staying fit and healthy. Now this assumes something, doesn't it? that you're already fit and healthy, right? So that already assumes that you're already fit and healthy. So for the few people in the population that are, that can be their resolution. Uh, How about number four, enjoy life to the fullest? That's kind of idealistic. You know, I don't know what that really means. But uh, number three, spend less, save more. You quit smoking, you save some money. You know, so that's how that one works together. Number two is getting organized. And what do you think is the number one New Year's resolution? Lose weight, that's right, number one New Year's resolution. And it was interesting, as I was researching this and kind of learning a little bit about about half the population makes some kind of resolution. A small percent of the population uh, only keeps the resolution, and over time the resolutions kind of wane over time. One statistic that I found very interesting was the percent of 20-year-olds who keep their resolution and the percent of 50-year-olds who keep their resolution, Okay. Now, how many of you think it's higher with the 50-year-olds who keep their, their, their resolutions? How many of you think that? Okay. How many think it's higher for the 20-year-olds to keep their resolutions? That's interesting. About half and half. Actually, twice as many 20-year-olds will keep their resolutions than 50-year-olds. And that's kind of interesting because you would think it might be the reverse because you think, well, they don't have a lot of commitments, a lot of responsibilities, but, but the ones that they commit themselves to, they will stick to. And so I started thinking about, well, it's great to think about resolutions, but how do we keep them? How do we keep them? And I came up with a few ideas on how to keep resolutions. One is to write it down. 
You realize it doesn't do any good if it's up here. You need to write it down, so that's a good idea. And another one is tell someone. If you tell someone, your likelihood of keeping it will go up. Third is if you review it daily. If you review it daily. And so I thought, how could you review it daily? Well, here's one. You could get it tattooed on your arm, you know, and then every time you're taking a shower, you could look at that resolution. There it is again, you know. Uh, here's another one I thought of. Tell it to your student. If you tell your student something you are going to do, I guarantee you they'll remind you over and over again all throughout the year when you're not doing that thing you just said that you were going to do. And here's one final one to help you remember. Make it the background on your phone. Any idea how often we look at our phones on a daily basis? Anybody want to venture a guess? Take a guess. Come on, give me a number. Come on, accountant, Mr. Accountant. Give me a number in the front row here. So. A hundred. Okay, he's not. Quite, he's about two-thirds of the way there. 150 times we look at our phones. For some reason, the people in the UK look at theirs 220 times a day. I'm not sure why, but uh, um, but think about that. If you want to remind remind yourself of something, do what? Put it there as a background on your phone, and you'll remember it all the time. Well, this morning we're going to talk about promises, and we're going to talk about commitments. And if you were with us back in the fall, we began a series of studies looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous message. And this morning we're going to re-enter that message, and ironically, the place we're going to enter it is where he talks about making promises. So I thought this is a great fit for a New Year's uh, weekend um, as we're thinking about what the New Year is, is going to bring about and promises that we're going to be making. The Sermon on the Mount, just let me refresh your memory a little bit about that. Jesus was speaking to a large group of people. He had just announced to them that the kingdom of God is near. He didn't say the kingdom of God is here, it's arrived. He said, it's near, it's getting close. You say, well, what did he mean by it's near, it's getting close? Well, Jesus was here, and he's one day going to be the king, but he wasn't ruling as king. Herod was the ruling. Herod was the ruler uh, as king. But Jesus would one day be king. And so he said, let me tell you what life when I am the king is going to be like. And as you hear what life when I am the king is going to be like, I want you to consider being a part of my kingdom. And he used this phrase at the beginning of it. He used this phrase, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He invited people who are walking a certain way of life, good people, religious people, Jewish people, to live a different kind of life. And it's interesting, as you read through this Sermon on the Mount, you discover the kinds of people who are going to be in this kingdom. And you're left scratching your head a little bit, and you think, that's not the people I thought were going to get in. That's a little confusing. And then the more you read about this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't tell you all these different things you need to think about to be a part of the kingdom. He says, I want, you to, I want to tell you a different way to relate to one another when you're part of this kingdom. Because Jesus says, people that follow me, people that put me to be the king of their lives, they live differently in relationship to each other. And that's why he talks about things like anger and lust and divorce and keeping promises. What Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't add more to your backpack of your faith journey and say, now there's three more things that you need to do. It's not what he says. He says, I'm offering you an alternative way of living. I want you to take something the way you're living in this area right now and I want you to throw it out and I want you to turn and adopt something new. Now, if your house was like my house this past week after Christmas, there was a number of things that had been in our house for a very long time that either ended up in the garbage if they were no longer usable or if the goodwill if we thought somebody else could use them. Why? Because we were given some gifts and we swapped them out. We took the old things out and we put something new in its place. Jesus is not adding more to what following him is all about. He says, I want you to trade something 
I want you to trade something from the way you're living now to a new relationship with me as king that I want to invite you to live in today. And so this morning, we're going to take a look in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, um, turn in them to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, our guys have some and they'll pass them out. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning, beginning in verse 33. Matthew 5:33, And I'm going to read through this. Um, for those of you that are still finding it, I'm going to read through it, and then we will talk about what Jesus has to say in this this morning. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. So let's see what Jesus has to say. He says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows... You have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is your footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Jesus is talking about vows, and he's talking about promises, and he's talking about oaths. What is he talking about in all of this? Well, Making promises and making commitments is important to God. Uh, One of the very first ones that God provided for us is in the book of Genesis, shortly after the great flood took place. God said to his people, to the people that were alive, Noah and his family, he said, never again am I ever going to flood the earth with water. And he said, I want you to know that this is not going to happen, and I want to make a promise to you, and the promise I'm going to make is a rainbow. So every time you see a rainbow, it'll be a reminder to you that the earth will never again be flooded with water. One of the very first promises. And what Jesus said, what God said throughout the Old Testament, he said, when you make a promise, you need to keep the promise. Now, one of the things that happened in that culture, and we'll talk more about it, and even as it relates to our culture, is that when God gets added to that promise, then all of a sudden the stakes go up. And the weight of keeping that promise increases. For instance, if you appear in a court of law and you testify in that court of law, you put your hand on the Bible and you repeat this oath, and at the end you say, so help me, what? God. Why? You're saying, God, I want you to help me to be as truthful as I possibly can. And it adds a level of weight to our commitment to be honest and to be truthful. In the Old Testament law, in the book of Deuteronomy, look how God described this. In Deuteronomy 23, he said, you've heard it said long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you've made to the Lord. He goes on the next verse to say this. But if you refrain from making a vow, you'll not be guilty. He said, keep your oath, keep your promise, but if you don't make a vow to weight that heavier so you're guaranteed to keep it, you'll be okay. Go to the next verse. Whatever your lips utter, just do it. Because you made your vow freely to the Lord with your mouth. So literally what God is saying is he's saying, I want you to be honest. When you make a commitment, I want you to say it. And the, the struggle is, is God knew the human heart. And the human heart has a tendency to deceive, doesn't it? Then that deception goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam, was dece- Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent, and then Adam lied. And then Abraham lied to Sarah, and Jacob lied to his uncle Laban. And all throughout the, the story of the patriarchs, the Jewish patriarchs, there was lies and deception, lies and deception, lies and deception. And that has continued to this day. 
If you polled a group of students, now I didn't poll our students who are here today, but if you polled a group of students, two-thirds of them would admit that they lied to a parent, teacher, or someone in the past three months. Sixty percent of them admit they lied to a friend in the past three months. Thirty percent of them admit that they cheated on a test in the last three months. And plagiarism software has, to be, has had to become increasingly sophisticated because of the use of the Internet for copying of material and then being presented as your own. Now, I don't say this as an indictment on students because students had to learn this from someone, didn't they? Somewhere, didn't they? They learned it from adults. And what's happened is we've adopted a way of life that says, if it works for me, it's okay. If it works for me, it's okay. Talking to some friends recently who had uh, a son and daughter, a son actually, who had uh, done a year of teaching English in uh, China and then in Japan. And he said one of the biggest struggles in those cultures is because of the value of education and the value of knowledge, it is completely acceptable in their minds to cheat. And he has to try to confront that. And so what we're talking about here is more than just keeping my promises. It's tied to my commitment to what is true and how do I communicate that truth and how do I get that truth across. God says, keep your word and keep your promises and don't add a lot of other things to it. Go back and look at the verse there in Matthew chapter 5. He says, again, you've heard it said, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. God says, when you make, a, when you make an oath, keep it and keep the vows that you have made. You say, John, I'm not quite tracking with you. That's okay. I understand. Let me see if I can make this a little bit simpler. Since we were kids, we've used statements at the end of something we've said to convince another person that what we said was true. Let me give you a few of them, see if you can figure them out. Here's the first one. Cross my heart and what? Hope to die, stick a needle in your eye. Right? My eye. My eye, that's right, yeah. What is that? That is, that is a vow saying, I told you what I was saying was true. If you don't believe me, this is what I'm going to add on top of it to guarantee that you're going to believe me. Okay, here's another one. Pinky what? Swear. Okay, you kind of hook your another person's pinky. I swear that I am telling you the truth, right? Now, as you get a little older, you don't use those phrases, but you might use this phrase, you might use this phrase, I swear on my what? Mother's grave, right? Starting to get the sense here? When you make a statement, when you say something, the other person's like, I don't believe, you know, I'm not, no, no way. You're like, yes, and so what do you do? You add something on top of that to make your words believable because they don't believe that what you're going to say is true. You might be pulling their leg. You might be lying. You might be deceiving. And so I have to make an effort to get them to believe that this is true. And the last one that we say is, I swear to whom? To God, right? I swear to God. This is not a new problem. This is a problem that's been happening for centuries. Moses wrote about it in the book of Deuteronomy. Then Jesus writes about it because what the Jewish leaders had done, remember the Jewish leaders, their, one of the goals with their oral tradition, there was what God says, and then they added on top of that all this oral tradition, and the purpose of the oral tradition was to create loopholes for you to get out of doing exactly what God said to do. And so what they did in their culture is they took these, these different 
vows that they would put on top of a statement. And each of those vows would weight that statement more heavily, and that would put the heaviest part being, I swear to God, and then that means you have to tell the truth. And that's really what Jesus is talking about. Now let's go back and look at these next couple verses and look at the way that they're, the way that they're described. Look there in verse 34. What does he say in verse 34? He says, Do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. So kind of the lowest letter level that you could kind of wait on it, you know, kind of like the pinky swear thing, is, you know, I swear by heaven, is what they might say. And Jesus said, why are you swearing by heaven? That's where God lives. That's the same thing as, what's the point of all of that? So they add another one. What's the next level? The next level is I swear by the earth. That makes it even more, because the earth we can see, heaven, I'm not sure about heaven, but the earth I know, I swear by the earth. He says, why are you swearing by the earth? That's, if heaven is his throne, the earth is like where his feet, it's like he props his feet up here. You know, that's not going to wait it anymore. And then he says, I swear by Jerusalem. He says, why are you swearing by Jerusalem? That's the city of the great king. That's God's city. It's waiting it even more. This last one he says, and this one's a little more confusing in our culture today. He says, I swear by the hair by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Now, in our culture today, we can make our hair red and blue and yellow and purple, and, you know, you can kind of, it's gray, you can make it whatever you want it to be. So this one's a little trickier for us today, you know. What in the world is he talking about here? Well, I think what he's talking about, there's other places in the Bible where it says that God knows the hairs, the number of hairs on your head. And for some of you, that's less of a challenge for God than it is for others, but... uh, you know, he knows them all, even the ones that aren't working and don't produce hair. You know, he knows them all, all those things, you know. Um, and I think maybe the point here is that, you know, he, he's talking about swearing by God changing your hair color or changing something about you that only God has any control over. And so what the Jewish culture did is they added these different, these different vows to weigh their promise, all in an attempt to convince the other person that their words were going to be true. And what does Jesus call us to do? He says, kingdom people are so honest, they do not need oaths or things that they swear by on top of what they say to guarantee that their words are true. They tell the truth all the time. So what did Jesus say? He says, whenever you say yes, it should be yes. And whenever you say no, it should be no. Now, for some of you, you say, we, you say yes way too often. And those of you that do, you know who I'm talking to, you know. And your spouse is like, why did you say yes again? I can't believe you did it again, you know. And, and in all likelihood, you are gifted by God as a servant. You are gifted by God as someone who likes to help. You're gifted by God as someone who meets people's needs. And so... Whenever there's a need or some way to help or some way to get involved, you're like, yeah, me, 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 you know. And yet what happens over time is you begin to hate the fact that you even said yes to something that you thought you wanted to do at one point in time. And then you regret ever saying it and wish it was no. For some of you, you say no way too often. You've seen the life of the yes person. You're not going to live in that world. And so you're going to live in the no world. And so your answer to, no, don't even ask, no, no, don't even bring it up, no, no, don't even, don't even bother, no, 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 no. 
And we're going to talk about what that means in terms of how do I live this out. But look at how he closes this. He says, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Wow, that is harsh. That is harsh. He's saying, if you, if you make a promise, if you say yes to something and you can't fulfill that, or you say no to, no to something and you don't end up fulfilling that either, he said, anything other than doing exactly what you say, which is the point, comes from Satan. comes from Satan. Do you remember what Jesus said about Satan? He called him the father of what? Father of lies. And what did Jesus say? He says, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. And so what Jesus is calling people to do who follow him or people that live according to his kingdom, according to his ways, is to say, whatever it is you say, make sure you can do what you say. Because if you don't, this is not a God thing. It's actually far from it. It's something from Satan. You know, the Jewish leaders were so, were so committed to manipulation. Listen just briefly with me from Matthew 23 where these are expanded on. Listen to how they, how they did this in Matthew chapter 23. He said, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, they're bound by their promise. You fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? If anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, it's bound by the altar. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes it sacred? And he goes on to describe other things in that passage. And basically what he says is, he said, you are using words to manipulate and control the situation. It's literally what you're doing. You say, why do people swear on top of statements that they make? Dallas Willard said this, to impress people with their sincerity and reliability and to gain acceptance of what they are saying and what they want. If I don't think something, someone is believing me, then I have to up the ante to convince them that what I'm saying is true. And ultimately, it's a form of manipulation. I have to push the issue and get them to trust me, so I use the phrase, I swear, on top of that. In sales, it's called a song and a dance. In politics, it's called a spin doctor, where you're trying to convince someone to believe something to be true about you that they aren't willing or sure if they can accept. What kingdom living does is it lets people come to their own conclusions and decide on what they deem is best based upon the character and integrity of the individual. And what Jesus is saying to his followers, and ironically, maybe not ironically, but he puts this in the passage right after the commitment to marriage. That's where he puts it. And as we talk back in the fall about the breakdown of this in our culture and within the church, where when we make a commitment, when we make a promise that we have said before God and witnesses till death do us part. We're so easy and quick to break it. You see, Jesus isn't, all, Jesus isn't about people who know more than other people, and that makes them more godly. He's about people who live differently, who have traded a way of living for a different way of living. 
you know, if you think about the culture we live in, we're a culture of, of, of promises and of contracts and of, of release forms and of binding negotiations. We're a culture full of that. Why? Because we can't trust a person's what? Word. Can't trust their word. And Jesus says, I want my followers to be people whose word can be trusted. Now, should you have those things in place? We live in a broken, sinful, fallen world, and so I'm not suggesting those get eliminated. But the reason that they exist is because of that. Because of that. The challenge for all of us is to be men and women and students of integrity. Where our word counts for something, And we carefully think through the promises and the commitments that we're going to make because we know once we make those commitments that we are going to keep them because that is who we are. You know that one of the things that it's next to impossible to replace is your integrity and your credibility. And if you've ever had that happen to you, whether because of your own sinful or bad choices or because uh, lies or gossip has been spread about you, you know how difficult it is to replace that. And God calls us to be people of integrity, to be people of honoring the commitments that we make. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to practice this a little bit. And that's what the handout inside your program is for. If you would pull this handout out... um, Uh, And ushers, if you would grab some programs and just kind of walk around. If anybody didn't get a program, I'd like to have everybody look at this because it's not going to come up on the screen. And I wanted us to think about making a promise that we can keep. Now, upon initial glance at this sheet, it looks a little bit overwhelming, and and I certainly understand that. But we're not going to ask you to hand this in or give this to anybody or make commitments in all these areas. That's not what we're going to be asking you to do. My challenge is going to be to ask you to commit to one of these areas this next year. Because my challenge to you is to make a promise and keep it. To make a promise and keep it. And so I'm going to walk down through these things that are listed here. And I want you, as you're listening to me talking about them, just to be attentive to the fact that God is giving you a nudge and saying, I want you to do this this coming year. Now, there may be something else that God has for you. But I want us to think through a process of how do I think about a commitment I'm going to make and then honor God with it. And so I've listed six areas that um, our staff came up with, and we thought these are six areas that are good things for us to think about at the beginning of the year. And, And my challenge to you is to say, is there one area here that God wants me to make a commitment? Not that John says, or my spouse says, or my parents say, or small, but that God's kind of given me a nudge to make a commitment in one of these areas and to grow in it. So the first one there is rhythms. Uh, One of the things you'll hear us talk about all the time here at CCC is rhythms. Our heartbeat has a rhythm. It goes up and it goes down, and then it goes up and then it goes down, and it goes up. Everything in life is built on rhythms. We're in the rhythm of what season? Winter right now. And everything is what? It's dead, it's dark, it's dreary, you know? But it's a season where everything has to die so we can experience what? In just a couple of months. Spring, right? Where everything will come life. And so we have rhythms that we encourage people to think about. One of the rhythms that's important is, is coming to worship on a regular basis here at CCC. Say, John, why would you put that? Isn't that just kind of an obvious, a given? I read some research recently that said that in 2015, the amount of times that people attend church is going to drop from the amount of times people attended church in 2014. Of regular church-going people, 
People all the time ask, how many people attend our church? Well, on a given Sunday morning, 25% of our church isn't here. That it calls CCC their church home and attends on a regular basis. You say, so why are people going to attend church less in 2015 than they did in 2014? A couple of the reasons they said. Number one reason, anybody want to venture a guess? They're about this high and they're very busy. Kids, sports, and activities. Number one reason why people who attend church regularly will attend church less. Number two reason, professional responsibilities, business travel. Number two reason. Number three reason, the, all the opportunities and activities that are available for us to be involved in. And so I put this on here as an important rhythm for us to consider that in the process of our lives, in the seven-day process, God said it was important, and we'll talk about this a little, to take one day and rest and turn our attention in a way that we maybe haven't all week long. Another part of that is spending some time with God. Uh, we think it's important for you to put life on hold as you begin your day, in the middle of the day, at the end of your day, and just spend a few minutes talking to God. Opening up His, the Bible, and maybe it's reading the passage of Scripture that, that um, we're talking about this morning. I love having you version on my phone that no matter where I am, I can sit for a couple minutes and just kind of read and just sit quietly and reflect on what it is that God has for me today. Um, the passage I read this morning, the song we're going to sing at the close of the service, is all about that passage. And, and the last one is practice Sabbath weekly. And Sabbath, when we talk about Sabbath, we talk about 24 hours where you do the things you enjoy doing. It's a want-to day and not a have-to day. Some of you are thinking, oh, that sounds so inviting. And then you're thinking, I have no idea how I'm going to do that. And that's part of the challenge. But we believe God has built into our lives a rhythm where one out of every seven days we put life on pause. We don't do all the things we have to do. We don't pay the bills. We don't run errands. You know, don't do projects around the house. You know, we don't diet. You know, somebody like, oh, I like that day. You know, you don't have to exercise. You know, unless you really like to. If you're one of those weirdos, there's a few of us. You know, but. Um, but you get to do the things that you want to, the things that God has made you to be all about, that give you life. And we believe that should be a part of the rhythm of life that God has created us for. So maybe, maybe you're, you're like, you know what? I need to put some rhythms in place in my life. And maybe that's an area. The next one is relationships. And if you hang around CCC long enough, you'll know that relationships are part of why we believe God has created us. To live in relationship with Him, first and foremost, first and foremost, and then with one another. And so we encourage you, if you're new to CCC or if you're um, just beginning your faith journey to be a part of Starting Point, it's a group where you'll get to know some people. There's settings for men and women. That's what nights and women's groups. There's our community groups and maybe even the leader group. And you will hear us talk all the time about being in relationship with other people. We don't believe you can live the life that God has for you by yourself in isolation. How about serving? How about serving? There's a lot of people that serve here at CCC. We have over 100 volunteers that serve on a regular basis. Um, some are very gifted and talented, as you saw up on the stage earlier. Um, some just know how to use a mouse and click it, and they're really good at that, and uh, that's how they serve. Others are ser great at serving with their hands, and you may know that we're renovating a facility that's going to be our future home, and um, if you can do nothing more than sling a, sledge, swing a sledgehammer, then maybe you can come and serve God in that way. But maybe you've served and you just kind of help with an event and God says, God's kind of giving you a nudge and say, this is the one for you. 
I want you to be a little more focused on others. And so I want you to serve somewhere on a regular basis. If you hang around here long enough, you see some of the same people in certain areas and they've committed themselves and said, I'm going to do this on a regular basis. Or maybe it's for you to lead in a way. Maybe the challenge for you is in the area of your finances. In the area of your finances. Um, maybe it's saying, I'm going to give some money back to God. Um, instead of it all being for me, I'm going to give it back to God. Maybe for you it's knowing where your money goes. You know, we've talked about this often that you can't, be a good steward or a good manager of your money unless you know where it's going. Maybe it's giving a percent. Maybe it's saying, I'm going to give God a certain percent of my income first before all the other expenses have to be paid. That's what a tithe is. Maybe it's for you just being generous with everything. Maybe you do those kind of things. You're like, I know I'm supposed to budget. I budget. I know I'm supposed to tithe. I tithe. But you're kind of tight-fisted. And, and everybody knows, don't ask him, you're just going to get a no. And God's saying, I want you to open those hands and say, God, help me to use my stuff to bless other people. How about sharing Jesus? You know, Maybe the challenge for you this next year is to identify some people that don't know God, that are maybe far from God, and God says, I just want you to find a way to serve them. And maybe after serving them, you invite them to come to CCC or maybe you even talk to them about Jesus. Not about God. Everybody in Lancaster County believes in God. Most of them believe in Jesus too, but talk to them about a personal relationship with Jesus. And what does that look like? And the last one there is just maybe making some commitments to CCC. We've talked about some of these along the way. Um, but maybe you just, you know, I, I kind of come and I kind of show up and I like being here and I like the people and I help out a little bit, but I've never kind of jumped in and maybe jumping in for you is being baptized and that's just going public and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus and I want everybody to know. Or maybe it's becoming a member and saying, you know, I'm all in. I'm, I'm not just going to be someone who shows up, but I'm in. I'm a part of what God's doing here. And so I want to encourage you to take this with you and and sit with it. I don't want you to make a decision now. Some of you already know what God's kind of giving you a nudge to do. Some of you are like, I know, I know. We've been talking about this, and now it's time to put some feet to it. Some of you, it's different than this. I've given you some that we thought of. But there's others. Maybe for some of you, there's some pain from your past that you've not been willing to do some work on. And God's been giving you a push to this. And loving friends have been saying, it's time. Maybe there's a habit that is a secret habit on the inside. And God says, it's time. There's a relationship that's been broken for a long time and you don't want to walk back towards it. And God says, it's time. Time to make a promise to me and then keep your word. I, I don't know what that's going to be for you this coming year. But for people of faith, for people that want to follow Jesus, for people that want their lives to be about Him, He says, will you make a promise and then keep it? One thing I know to be true, 
Some of us shy away from commitments because we don't want to overpromise. Some of us overpromise and then we feel like a failure because we can't follow through again. I think both of us, God is inviting you to spend some time with Him, some time with your spouse, some time with one or two trusted friends that know you really well and you say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about this year. What do you think about this? Let God use them in your life. And I'm going to encourage you in your small groups, in your nights groups, in our student ministry to have this conversation. Say, what is that one commitment God's calling you to make this coming year? I want to invite you to bow your heads with me and let's just take a couple minutes quietly for you to talk to God. Maybe you already know what it is. And you have to be willing to say, okay, God, I will. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's kind of a surrender issue for you. Sometimes it's humbling because we might need to ask someone else to help us and we might not be good at that. Because you know God wants you to do something, but you don't have a clue how to do it. Some of you, you're just not sure. You might have to look at this for a day or two days or three days and just keep saying, God, what's it going to be this year? What's the promise you want me to make? And I want to commit to doing it. I want to be a person of my word. And I want to start with you. Lord, I don't know what you've put in each of our hearts. But I know that if we are open to you, that you want to work in us. And you call us into this relationship and you invite us to to know you and to follow you and... And God, you today are challenging us to swap a way of life that either casually makes promises or has to try to convince people because we've had we failed them in the past. We overpromise and then we're hating ourselves and hating life because of what we've committed to. To just say, what is it that you want me to do? And with your help, I'm going to do it. God, as we begin a new year, it's, we kind of have this sense that we get this fresh slate. Um, it's kind of wiped clean of all the old things and like some new fallen snow. It's pure. And God, I just pray that as we begin this new year that this reminder of make a promise and keep it is something that would ring in our hearts and it would give us a sense of what does this look like to follow you and your delight and pleasure as we seek to do so.